Shalom, ladies and gentlemen. I'm John McKee, editor of Messianic Apologetics, and along with my co-host, Judah Hamango of Kineti Letzion, we would like to welcome you to this episode of The Messianic Walk. Hi, everybody. Yeah, I'm Judah, like John said, and I run uh, Kineti Letzion blog, a Messianic blog, as well as Hava Messianic Radio. On this episode, we are going to be discussing something that is very near and dear to our messianic experience. It's something that I have encountered. It's something that he's encountered. I think everyone in some form or another has encountered this. Lawlessness versus legalism. Two significant extremes that we encounter. Both of us uh, strongly believe that God's Torah is essential instruction to be known, studied, and implemented by all of his people. So you can't say, oh, you're telling me this isn't for me. No, we believe it's important. Yet, there are challenges and problems which have to be navigated through when one identifies the extremes of legalism and lawlessness. Yeah, certainly I've seen in the messianic world, and I think a lot of messianic folks have seen this, where there's this idea that on the Christian side of things, there's all kinds of lawlessness. And maybe on the more Jewish side of things coming from Judaism, everything is legalism. Um, But we've also seen this inside of our own movement. I think we've seen extremes on both sides. So yeah, John and I thought it would be good to... um, wrestle through some of these issues, uh, discuss some of the uh, extremes we've seen, and and perhaps uh, suggest a a better path forward. Well, I know that in my own studies and research, when it comes to the whole issue of Torah observance for a Mm -hmm. lot of people today, you've got, you know, stage one, if you like, which deals with the validity and the relevance of the Torah. Mm -hmm. Am I even supposed to really be following it? I thought the law was abolished. It was nailed to the cross. And 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 you there's this stage one of having to work through those kinds of arguments. What does Peter's vision represent in yes. Acts chapter 10? Uh, what about Romans 14? We talked about that last time. That's right. Those kinds of arguments. And then once you get beyond that, then in a stage two, it's like, well, all right, how do I do these things? How do I implement them? on the ground in the 21st century. And so, at least in my experience, I've had people who I have a lot of agreement with them on Torah validity, and then we just Mm kind of like completely deviate paths when it comes to (laughs) implementation on the ground. And so that's where we get into these issues of lawlessness and legalism. And if I can interject something, a lot of folks in in my experience, a lot of folks, when they get to that stage two, they've already said, okay, the Torah has something to say about my life, has some uh, validity going forward uh, for believers. They get to stage two and they they like go to the extreme of of legalism where there's absolute total rigidity of how you keep the commandments. Um, And so I think that's one thing we'll discuss today is is, uh, some of those extremes. Right. And and mind you, all of us in our walk of faith at some point or another have gone yeah. through a phase. Uh, all of us in our lives have gone through a phase. We see people go through trends in society. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I remember back in the late 1980s, the whole thing about Reebok pumps. I think they oh, were. Oh, yeah, pumps. yeah. And I, I, I remember that. And, uh, <laughs> yep. you, know, um, you know, it's like it, it was a phase and then it went on. Um, mm-hmm. Certainly, mm-hmm. and it's, it's funny, we are going to talk about kosher, but in food and gastronomy, there are different trends that come and go. You know, it used to be, well, mm. anything with Chipotle in it. Oh, I've got to try that. And mm. that wasn't hot enough for people. Then it <laughs> okay. became Sriracha, and that wasn't hot <laughs> enough for people. And yeah. now we're into ghost peppers. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> you know, it's like, how, yeah. what, how hot is hot? I mean, how, yeah, yeah. So, so there are those trends in, in any walk of life, and we see that also in the Messianic movement, I think. And and just in our own walks, like you said, we we try to figure out what is best and maybe we go too far one direction or the other uh, as we work it out. Right. So uh, to get started, lawlessness versus legalism. Uh, Judah, you have had a blog for as long as I've known you, mm-hmm. and you certainly have had to navigate the different currents and eddies and uh, maybe yeah. not wormholes as much, but uh, <laughs> all the all these different phenomena. Uh what do you consider lawlessness to be and what do you consider legalism to be? I think first I'll speak to legalism because that's what I see most often in the messianic movement. Um, primarily, you know, this is going to be my experience here in, in the U S version of the messianic movement, maybe less so in Israel, but what I see oftentimes in the messianic movement is people get enthralled with, with Torah, they they realize, like you mentioned at step one, that Torah has something to say uh, to us. So they get enthralled with it, and they they go to an extreme direction with it, where it becomes very very rigid. And oftentimes, in my experience, it takes the form of um, we have to be um, we have to exceed the stringency of of the orthodox, of Orthodox Judaism. Um, and that can take whether it's kosher or or um, what we're doing on Shabbat. Um, I've seen that people just take it to an extreme. To me, that that is legalism. I always tell folks, as Yeshua's disciples, we're under no obligation to become Orthodox Jews. That's we don't our our faith does not have to look like that. And I think oftentimes um, folks who are in that mode who are basically living as, as Orthodox Jews, um, they, they see anything short of that as a lack of faithfulness. Say, ah, um, you're not, you know, uh, separating, uh, the meat and milk, or you're not having two kitchens that that is a lack of faithfulness, but it's not that at all. Uh, rather we don't interpret the Bible. We don't interpret the Torah in the same light as Orthodox Judaism does. And we shouldn't expect to either because we have um, Messiah's Torah, which I think amplifies how we treat one another over some of the, I don't know, stringencies and minutia of, of the Orthodox world. Uh, so legalism, that's one I, I've seen a lot of, a lot of people get into that mode uh, because they come out of, and a lot, I, I should say too, in my experience, a lot of the people who, who get into legalism in the Messianic movement, they are... Uh, non-Jews who um, came out of Christianity and they've um, they've moved into a Torah lifestyle, but it's become ultra rigid. 
Um, and I think it, to be honest, a lot of those folks, I see a lot of joy removed, man. Like they're the, the joy and the love in their lives is, is, I don't know, colder. Um, it's, it's a problem. So that, that's one thing I've seen legalism, lawlessness. Uh, I have seen sometimes, I, I see this oftentimes with um, Christians who are, we, we might define as hyper grace or ultra grace where everything, you know, everything is uh, covered by God's grace. And so I don't, I don't need that. Uh, I don't, it doesn't matter how I live because God ultimately forgives me. I think it's an abuse of grace. And um, to be honest, I don't see it much in the messianic movement because the messianic movement tends to be more Torah observant than um, other believing groups in the Christian world. Uh, but certainly among Christians, I also see it among uh, not to get political, but I do see it among um, left-wing Christian groups, I would say, where they've, they've simply spiritualized away a lot of the concrete commands of the Bible. Um, and I, I th- they, you know, they'll have, they'll have justification for those interpretations, you know, like homosexuality, they'll say, oh, it's not um, speaking against what we see today with a committed same-sex partners, things like that of that nature, they'll have justifications. But I believe that ultimately those justifications are doing away with um, straightforward and clear commandments from God. Um, And so I think it's a form of lawlessness. So, yeah, I'd say those are the two big areas that I've seen it folks um, in Christianity. Some will practice lawlessness. A lot of folks in the messianic movement, I have seen that legalism come into play. I, w- I do want to address one thing, John, I'll, I'll, I'll let you respond to all that, but I see a lot of messianic folks say that everyone in the church is lawless. Have you seen that before, John? Yes, I have. And this to me seems to be a real problem that I think it's worth highlighting now to say, look, Christians who are faithful to the Bible, best they know how, people who are living God's word, who are, um, you might say, gospel-oriented Christians, those people are not the lawless people that Messiah speaks about in the Gospels. And it's grievous to me when I see Messianics uh, slander uh, our brothers in the, in the church, brothers and sisters in the church, as, as lawless. It's not right. Uh, it's not of God. Um, so I, I want to make clear, to just right at the outset, like when we talk about lawlessness, we're not saying that the Christian church, the evangelical world or other Christian groups are, are necessarily lawless. Uh, there might be individuals, there might be some um, theological uh, ideas that promote lawlessness, but um, the church as a whole oftentimes is doing the weightier matters of the Torah. And that's, that's, that's good in, in, in God's eyes. I think that that's very appropriate that you mention how in Matthew chapter 23, the issues that Yeshua went after the Pharisaical leaders about Mm -hmm. were the fact that they were not concerned with some of those very weighty ethical matters of Moses's teaching. That's right. Yep. And, and yet there is a tendency for many people, Oh, I'm into Torah and that, and they're, they're more concerned about these very small, minute issues. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And and that that is unfortunate. So as we navigate lawlessness and legalism, it's important to keep in mind that uh you know the weightier matters of love, uh, peace, joy, 
helping one's neighbor, standing up for the mm-hmm. value of life. I mean, these are the kinds of things that the Torah yes. speaks profoundly about. Uh, and yet a lot of people will attack yes. others because they don't wear zizits a certain way or don't wear them at all or, or whatever, yeah. what, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Now, I've had a lot mm-hmm. of experience with these you know, legalism and lawlessness things myself. And to start out with lawlessness, you know, in my definition, I see just outright lawlessness as people who believe that God's instruction in the Torah, the Tanakh, the Old Testament is yes. completely abolished. It has nothing mm-hmm. to inform modern day Messiah followers about their mm-hmm. relationship with God and how they are to walk or even mm-hmm. how they are to understand how God works in history. So there are people, I would say, who uh, are in the religious world and they look at the Old Testament as completely irrelevant for their faith. Uh, yeah. They are, um, you know, what, what would be some of the words we could describe? You know, lawless would be one of them. They are quasi-Marcionite in, in that uh, they, mm-hmm. they, they believe that the God of the Old Testament might be a different way of looking at God than the God of the New Testament, they Mm. would only look at the Old Testament as containing some kind of biblical history, if that makes any sense. But they're very keen on, uh, you know, like issues like homosexuality. Well, it doesn't describe, you know, one man and one man or one woman and one woman in a committed relationship. It might just be temple prostitution or, or -hmm. pedestry or something like that. Uh, So the Tanakh really doesn't form any part of their biblical worldview other than we're just glad we're beyond it. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. I I agree that that's a good definition of lawless. If you're basically saying, look, the old Testament has no um, instruction to give us today as Messiah's followers. Yeah. Such people could then be, be called lawless because they're doing away with the law. Right. And mind you, there are instructions that we do have to understand for what they meant to ancient Israel and how, you know, there is some ancient context involving them. But course, but yep. that is a little different than saying, we're just glad we're beyond it. Mm-hmm. Now, when it comes to the whole issue of legalism and uh, mind you, over the past six to eight years, as I've gotten re-plugged into Messianic Judaism, particularly on the MJAA side, yes. This th- that is a faith community that will talk about, well, yes, we believe that Torah is important, but we don't want to get legalistic. And so mm-hmm. they will leave a lot of things um, open-ended for the conviction of different people to okay. decide or families. And, you know, in principle, I actually don't have a problem with that uh, because like, I don't, I certainly don't want people, you know, poking their nose into my business where they really shouldn't. And mm-hmm. I'm going to let people have their privacy as well. Uh, you know, we're not going to go in and uh, you know, go to your house and open up the refrigerator and open up the pantry and say, okay, you know, this doesn't have the seal on it, you know, for it being kosher. And, you know, we're not going to be monitoring people regarding what they do and don't do on Shabbat. I, I mean, you, you know, deal with your own life first bef- and and talk about what God has done in your own life first before you poke your nose into other people's affairs. Yes. Uh, yeah. So so I, I I do have kind of a hands off approach with what other people do. And, and certainly when you get into the Jewish religious tradition, 
and you see all the variance between the orthodox and the conservative and reform, a lot of people have accepted an interpretation that's been prov- that's been proposed at some time by one of those three major branches. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. so if you keep that in mind, you're like, okay. And again, we start out by saying some people go through a phase, but to okay. me, legalism is ultimately are you, if you, if you have a very high view of things like, uh, you know, Shabbat, mm-hmm. if you have a very high view of things like kosher, uh, it is inevitable because of the world in which we live that if yes. you're trying to remember Shabbat, keep kosher, remember the holidays, that life is going to intervene. Yeah, uh, life happens. As, yes. as we remember from the best of both worlds, Commander Riker says, Locutus, we are about to intervene. Uh, <laughs> you know, so inevitably life will intervene. And so you can plan all you like. You can make sure everything is super kosher, all you like, life will intervene. And and there are people who recognize that and recognize, hey, you know, if I've got to go and buy and sell on Shabbat because somebody gets sick or, you know, there's some emergency that has to be taken care of, Mm -hmm. or if perchance I am served something at that person's home that has pork in it, Mm -hmm. God is bigger than all of this. And he will forgive me. So it's okay. You know, we're not purposefully trying to disobey instructions, but I know that a lot of people, their spirituality, you know, it rises or falls on these very minute things. And, and, you know, we don't have enough of these discussions regarding, okay, well, what happened? And are you making perhaps too big a deal out of this? Yeah, I, I do think that is the case for some folks, um, where it's too much of an issue. It, it, I think when we talked in the first or second podcast about how sometimes messianics will make these smaller issues of kosher become a major issue, uh, kosher, feast, Shabbat, and so on. Um, I certainly have encountered messianic folks uh, who have done that. I I remember a few years back talking with, uh, at the time, a young man. He was my age, uh, so this was several years ago. Uh, when I was young, um, (laughs) that he was in the car with his dad. They had to travel um, during Shabbat because they were going from one messianic place to another or something. And um, he he encountered a toll on the highway and he had totally, he was like out of town or something. He was going to some other place. And um, he, he said, oh, you know, my dad, he was just so angry that he had to put money in that toll to drive on the highway on Shabbat. And I thought, you know, I don't think that's worth getting angry about. I don't think it's worth, um, I don't know, just disrupting uh, even the peace in a family over because it's a small issue. And I don't think that's the, those are the sort of things that um, God had in mind when he gave us the commandments. Um, It's not to say that we should belittle the commandments or say, hey, it doesn't matter if you break Shabbat or anything like that. We're just saying that, look, sometimes things come up in life, especially when you're here uh, outside of Israel, where people aren't keeping Shabbat, where people, you know, businesses aren't closed on Shabbat and nobody cares and people do their shopping on Saturday. Look, it's harder to harder to keep uh, the Torah um, here in the nations. Um, and we just have to recognize that, yeah, life will happen, especially if you're out here in the nations. So we can't be we can't be super rigid is what I'm I'm getting at. Right. And and there is a there is a an element of 
because you know that there are people out there who, mm. unless you hold to a very rigid, inflexible approach to these instructions, they will judge you and they will mm-hmm. act as though you are unsaved. But I think that there, that there, those people exist uh, in other sectors as well. Uh, you know, if you're not this or you're not that, well, how do we know you're really, you know, <laughs> saved? And and that's yeah. that's really uh, that to me that belies having a very shallow spirituality. Interesting. And I think yeah. what, what, what's, what, what's very ironic sometimes is some of these people, you know, they try to be very scholarly with the scriptures and, and they like to quote yeah. Jewish and Christian scholars. Okay. But, but wait a second, these Christian scholars think the law has been abolished. Mm. I mean, some of these people believe <laughs> yeah. that homosexuality can be defended from the Bible. Yeah. So, you know, let's be a little more fair-minded, especially when it comes to people who are trying to live out a Torah lifestyle in yeah. the 21st century, they do the best that they can. But, you know, is Yeshua's sacrifice powerful enough to cover our transgressions w- because they will inevitably happen? Indeed, indeed. Um, I have one quick anecdote. We'll try to keep this show shorter than usual, but one yeah, quick just one. Yeah, that... just to five hours, folks. Just to five <laughs> five hours. hours, yeah. It's okay. Yeah. Sit back, you know, sit back and relax. Get get comfy, get a drink or something. Now, um one thing that turned me off to legalism, uh, this was over a decade ago, but um, a man who is a leader in the Messianic movement, uh, he's part of Messianic Judaism today, leader of an organization in that in that movement. Um, I remember I took my wife out for our anniversary dinner, and it was Saturday, but we left, and you know the sun is almost down, and I thought it's you know it's fine, it's it's this will work. And it's my anniversary. I mean, it's, it's an important thing. <laughs> you know, marriage is, is super important. And I remember um, I posted a picture of it on Facebook, um, I don't know, Monday or something. And uh, this guy, this leader of the Messianic organization messaged me privately and said, you know, I looked at the, the timestamp of that photo and you guys were at you, you guys were at this restaurant uh, when the sun hadn't gone down where you live. Like he looked up sundown, you know, where I, where I posted this book. And I just thought to myself, this is, this is a great example of um, being so rigid about the Torah that it turns people off to the Torah. And I, to me, it was just like, I was like, I'm not going to listen to you anymore. Like it's so bad. It left such a bad taste in my mouth. So I wanted to really just underline that, legalism can really turn people off uh, from the messianic movement. It can turn people off altogether, especially when you get judgmental about how other people are keeping the Torah um, and also putting, you know, small matters above more weightier matters. Right. And some people, they just don't have a lot of tact sometimes. I mean, they just (laughs) don't, you know, know, watch what you say. Now I've Mm. learned not to put personal information up on social media any longer. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Because yeah, this is precisely the kind of thing that can happen. And Mm. you were probably drinking adult beverages as well. So (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that, that just compounded things even worse. Yeah, yeah. And you and you may not have been <laughs> clothed very modestly. I mean, who knows? You know, oh man. I mean, yeah. it just goes on and on and on. Yep. But you know, th- there is a real problem in the world 
And this is, I mean, you can go to the Olivet Discourse, Matthew 24. It Mm -hmm. says lawlessness will be multiplied and Mm. the love of many will grow cold. So lawlessness, Mm. this complete dismissal of God's instruction in the Torah, and probably a huge part of the New Testament instruction as well, and combined with riots and looting and anarchy. Mm. So just the whole thing. Um, that is prophesied to increase exponentially in the last days. And I think this year we've gotten a little taste of it uh, with Truly, some of it man. we have taking place here in America during our election year. Sadly, um, yeah, I was just talking but, to my but, wife about this. Yeah, but we absolutely. have all this warning, all these warnings about lawlessness. And yes, we want to return to a biblical foundation, a Torah foundation. But look, there are people who as they get acclimated to this. And it doesn't just concern non-Jewish believers. A lot of Jewish believers were raised in progressive and liberal homes. Uh, you know, you can, you can find the testimonies of a lot of you know, prominent Messianic Jewish believers. They never grew up with kosher, although they mm-hmm. may have done, yeah. you know, quote unquote kosher for Passover. Sure. Or they did, well, kosher in the home, but when we go out, um, mm-hmm. you know, we'll mm-hmm. do shrimp cocktail and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So when they became believers in Yeshua, the Lord, you know, really convicted them. They need to keep kosher, not just as a part of the the Bible, but also as a part of their Jewish identity. Mm. Uh, But they try not to be rigid or or legalistic about it. And, and, and yes, there are these two extremes that we have to navigate very fairly. And it's, and it's important that, and we've got a a list of things we're going to go through in just a moment. It's important that we, as those of us who are, in positions of teaching and leadership, we talk about on-the-ground examples because if we don't talk about on-the-ground examples, then we have we could inadvertently, I think, allow some of these legalistic things to go unchecked. Yes, agreed. So uh, what are some of the unnecessary extremes that you have encountered in your messianic experience uh, regarding, uh, so we'll start out with number one, although we've mm-hmm. discussed this before, a Torah foundation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as you mentioned, we we have discussed this before on previous podcasts too, where it's, uh, I think people embrace the Torah, but to the exclusion of the gospels, to the exclusion of Messiah's example of how to keep the Torah. Um, I, I know personally some folks uh, who are so enthralled with the Torah, which is a wonderful thing, but uh, they've taken it such that it's become their focus and their identity is not in the Gospels or in Yeshua, but in their Torah observance. To me, this is an extreme that um, I think detracts from from who we are, man. You know, it's like, hey, we are the redeemed of God, uh, redeemed through Messiah, and our, our primary identity is in our kosher eating. That doesn't strike me as right, man. Um, so to me, that's, that's the big one I've seen. What are your thoughts, John? Uh, yes, I agree with, with everything that you've just said. And I believe in having a Torah foundation. Of course. Um, yep. the, the most well-known publication of mine is the New Testament validates, validates Torah. Torah. So I yeah. better believe that. Um, and as, but as much as I believe in a strong Torah foundation, understanding its instructions, the, its narratives, its promises, um, you know, I would not consider myself a part of the quote unquote Torah movement. 
I'm mm-hmm. part of the messianic movement. Mm-hmm. Yeshua mm-hmm. and what Yeshua has done for us as human beings is absolutely imperative for me. Yes, bro. That's yeah. the most important thing because without him, we are really screwed. Yep, um, without right. his sacrifice on the tree, we have no final atonement for our sins. I know. And I have, you know, who can I turn to when I really need help? Well, I've got to turn to the Lord when I need help. Yep. The Torah is only going to take me so far. Yep. And yeah, now, I, I believe in Torah study. I believe in, you know, discussion of the commandments. Interestingly enough, I think many people who are really into Torah that they just repeat the same points year after year after year in their, uh, <laughs> their, in their examination, cycle. because yeah. I'm sorry, the past couple of weeks we've, you know, we, we go through Bereshit and then we go through Noach. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are a lot of things in the first 12 chapters of the Bible that today's Messianic community has a tendency to want to avoid. Uh, yes. Frequently avoided questions. Yes. Yes. Um, and so actually, I think there are a lot of things in the Torah because uh, being a biblical studies in Old Testament introduction, two thirds of our class was, did these events even take place? You know, mm-hmm. or, or, is it historically reliable? Um, mm-hmm. So there are a lot of things in the, in the Torah that I would love to talk about. Um, today's Messianic community isn't too ready. amenable to it because yeah. we're dissecting the minutia of, well, how do we know that ducks are kosher? <laughs> yeah yeah i saw and, a, yep 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 i totally know what you mean we we get into the minutiae i saw someone posted a meme um there's a great meme site about this it's messianic memes but um they said um hey how to grow closer to the lord i want to study about that and everyone's like bored but then suddenly hey let's talk about the measurements of the tabernacle and suddenly everyone's all interested you know we get into that minutiae yeah it's right are mushrooms coach. I mean, all this kind of stuff. Mm. And, and there mm. is a certain, I'll, I'll say this about the Messianic Jewish movement. There is a comfort in knowing that, okay, while, you know, a lot of Messianic Jews will in fact mix meat and dairy, you're not going to have the debate over our mushrooms kosher. You're not going to have mm. the debate on is duck kosher. You're not, mm. you're just not going to have those debates. You're actually joining into a history of interpretation that is, has some origin in Orthodox Judaism, but yet recognizes modern realities. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I think a Torah foundation is important. It's, it's the Bible of Yeshua and the apostles. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But I yep. do think that instruction also includes the prophets and the writings yes. and, and, and we have to understand it in light of the Messiah event, but I believe the Tanakh is profoundly important, yes. uh, but it's not the only part of the Bible. Um, and, and I think having that more holistic view of scripture is something that some lose because of, well, we just never dealt with this before. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, and, I think... and I know that some of our experiences are different. You know, I was raised in a, in a Wesleyan theological tradition, which believed art in the artificial division of the commandments between moral, civil, and ceremonial. Mm-hmm. But I remember back in 1990 at Christ United Methodist Church, in Florence, Kentucky. Uh, And there were several warnings about this a few weeks in advance, uh, that there was going to be a Sunday service where the issue of homosexuality was talked about. Mm. Boy, Mm. I mean, you could could never do that today at all. Mm. And one of the things that I I remember very distinctly, it was burned into my brain, was one of my mother's best friends got up, cracked open 
Leviticus 18 and read <laughs> a man shall not lie with another man. Yes. And, you know, here you are, you're, you have a, an evangelical church appealing to the Torah of Moses, the law yeah. for the sexual ethics of born again Christians. So, yep. uh, you know, and, and, and yet I know that's kind of an extreme example, but people, you know, sincere born again Christians, they know that the old Testament is important. I'm, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. They may not be too keen on kosher or mm-hmm. some of these Sabbath types of things, but yes. they know that you can't just completely disregard it. That's right. And I know you've called out in some of your books, how many of the Protestant uh, early Protestant leaders, many of them were Torah favorable. Maybe again, maybe not with regards to kosher things like that, but uh, many of them were favorable to the Torah as laying an important foundation. So I think we're all on the same page here that, yeah, Torah foundation is good, but there are extremes we're witnessing in the Messianic movement. Right. And that, and that doesn't all of a sudden mean that people in Judaism are, they don't have issues either. Because, you know, 90% of the Jewish community here in America that attends synagogue uh, is likely going to attend a very left-leaning Mm. conservative or reform uh temple and uh, when i went to messianic leadership roundtable i was on the uh i i had a really good conversation with trevor rubenstein oh uh, awesome i'm i'm friends with the guy i helped him move chosen people ministries and and, uh yeah he's from the twin cities area and he basically said look uh reform judaism is basically the democratic party with jewish holidays (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah yeah his his group i think uh also is shall we say very flexible on torah perhaps more towards the lawlessness than the rigidness um but yeah i i i know what you mean um yeah and that is the case you're right with a lot of jews in america uh reform judaism is the big group and they are um it's just jewish yeah, culture towards yeah it's jewish culture uh torah is seen as um you know something grandma on or grandma or our great aunt or something is doing, but it's not relevant to us or not particularly binding on us. Yeah. Yeah. John, by the way, um, you mentioned you had that book, New Testament Validates Torah, with regards to a Torah foundation here and extremes. I had that book out at my congregation one day. I had read through it and I placed it on our table for other people to read. And one gentleman commented, New Testament validates Torah. Shouldn't it be the other way around? And I thought, no, (laughs) like that just shows how this imbalance can happen where you're saying it has to be the Torah that validates everything else rather than Messiah. Right. It it validates it rather than invalidates it. Yeah. It upholds it. So, (laughs) and yeah. Anyway, it just shows that there's an imbalance there between um, almost an exclusive focus on the Torah um, at the exclusion of the Gospels and the rest of the Bible. Right. And I think, actually, I think the real, uh, the real casualty in this is, is probably the prophets. We don't discuss the prophets enough mm, because, mm, interesting. you know, we, we go through all these debates in the apostolic writings. Are they upholding? Are they dismissing the Torah? We have all these studies, and then we try to figure out, well, what about these commandments? What about those commandments? And then you got the prophets, which are right in the center, mm-hmm. uh, which talk about the arrival of Yeshua, the end times, mm-hmm. things that are actually very relevant to us. 
And it's like, we just don't have this. If I, I, we need to in, in, encourage a zeal and an appreciation for all of scripture and mm-hmm. that simple yet complicated narrative of creation, fall, and redemption. And hopefully yes. we are in that redemption phase. Yeah. Uh, oh, man. But yeah. it starts out with you and me being redeemed. Yes, that's right. Uh, so our, our second issue uh, the seventh day Sabbath or Shabbat. Mm-hmm. Now, I'd like to briefly start out because I know that uh, there are a lot of people who incorrectly believe that the Sabbath was changed from Saturday to Sunday. But sure. I have been able to go into some of the uh, writings of different ministers in my own family background, uh, and I have seen how they have approached the issue of what they incorrectly concluded to be a Sunday Sabbath, but yet their Sunday Sabbath was actually a lot more stringent than even some of the Messianic people who are like, you know, really strong Shabbat people. Wow. Interesting. Interesting. And, you know, Sunday was you go to church and then you spend it with your family, basically. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, And, you know, they grew up in a Southern American culture with the blue law. So you couldn't go shopping because all the stores were closed anyway ah, and okay. and there were there were certain activities you didn't perform uh, so there are certainly still many evangelical believers today who come from that tradition and they recognize that okay i at least need to take one day out of seven i need to rest i need to focus on my yep. relationship with the lord and my family mm-hmm. and very seldom when we come into issues of sabbath is that really what's being debated it comes down to more well what does it mean not to light a fire or what does Mm -hmm. it mean not to conduct in commerce Mm -hmm. Uh, or like well i was i was flying home on on friday afternoon and lo and behold the airline breaks down on me and Mm -hmm. i couldn't get a flight until you know saturday morning I mean, that happens all the time. So what are we supposed mm-hmm. to do? Well, I can't, yeah. you, know, I, um, you know, what are some, what have been some of your experiences with this? Few things. Um, I was back in Minnesota. Um, I was attending, in addition to running a, a, a Shabbat congregation, Messianic congregation on Shabbat. Um, I also attended a Sunday church with my family. And this church was a non-denominational formerly Baptist, but big church, like thousands of people attend. And I remember one, uh, and this, I guess, goes along with what you were saying, John. There was one Sunday where the preacher uh, gave a message basically saying, look, oh, yeah, so he's examining the Gospels, and he came across Matthew where um, the Lord says, that uh, man wasn't created for Shabbat, but rather Shabbat was created for man. He comes across that passage and the pastor says, well, uh, it's clear that the people of God uh, need a day of rest. And I thought, wonderful. This is great. This is a good message. Uh, he, He continued down, you know, gave arguments from scripture. I think he mentioned Hebrews, um, that there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God, that sort of thing. Uh, but then he came to the conclusion towards the end of his teaching. He says, well, it doesn't have to be on the seventh day anymore. It can be any day. And I thought, okay, well, 
here's something that's, I thought, good, that he's at least saying um, that God's people need a day of rest, which, John, we've talked about in previous podcasts, like, this is, this is like a human need. It's, it's not limited to Bronze Age. Israel, humans need a day of rest, a weekly day of rest. We've tried alternate patterns, uh, and it doesn't work. Um, we need that rest, and if we don't, we get burned out. Uh, it's not healthy for humanity. Um, so f- coming from the church, yeah, I see some, some good there. I think some extremes that I've witnessed in the Messianic movement that I hope folks listening to this podcast will avoid or endeavor to to do so is we get very judgmental about people who worship on Sunday. First, uh, people consider that just going to church is is like, um, oh, like you're backsliding or something. And I was like, no, that's not the case at all. I was attending a small congregation that um, didn't have many Bible-focused activities for my kids. I took my kids to a church where they had that. That's important. Um, so I, I, we, I, I guess one thing I want to say about this is just we can't be judgmental to folks uh, who do go uh, to church on Sunday. We also have to remember as messianics, the biblical command is not about what day you worship on. Uh, if you look at the Ten Commandments, and the, it's, it's to keep it holy. Um, right. You can worship on any day of the week, it, including Sunday. Uh, but Shabbat is about resting from our work. That's and, and I think that's the thing that sets it apart from the rest of of the of the week, the other days of the week. So I think that's what I want to caution our listeners to avoid: is um, don't get judgmental about folks who do attend Sunday churches, whether Christians or Messianic folks like myself, uh, because. Um, I think there's there's benefit in that, and that's not the, the the Shabbat commandments are about rest, not about what day you worship on. That's my that's my caution. Well, there are a huge number of of Shabbat related issues in the Holy Scriptures. Uh, mm-hmm. You know the 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 Sabbath conflicts in the Gospels, Yeshua being accused of breaking the Sabbath, and yet he's not. He mm. and in fact you you frequently see him interjected into ancient Sabbath debates on what was acceptable or what was not acceptable. Can you heal? Can you do this? Can you do that? Uh, So there are those kinds of things. And then there are the more modern matters like, okay, lighting a fire. Can I drive? I'm just Mm going to go to my congregation on Shabbat. Can I do those kinds of things? Mm -hmm. Okay. But I, I think one of the biggest issues, uh, even among people who are relatively flexible and they know that, Hey, you know, life happens and, you know, you get sick and you got to go get medicine at the store or, you know, things mm-hmm. like that. I mean, li- life happens mm-hmm. and, and or there was an mm-hmm. emergency at work and you had to go fix it. Uh, yeah. But I know one of the big things definitely involves financial transactions and not yes. just financial transactions, but religious financial transactions. So, you know, it's one thing, okay, oh, I'm not, yeah. not going to unnecessarily go shopping on Shabbat. However, uh, and this is something that actually came up at the IMCS Rabbis Conference in January, uh, and Michael Wolf, uh, Beth Messiah Cincinnati, gave a very good talk about this. Okay. Because a lot of people, not everybody, you know, they go to a Messianic congregation on Saturday morning, and then guess what? At some point in the service, they pass the plate for offerings. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And, and of course, now some people say, well, just go to our website and you, know, you can donate via PayPal or whatever. And some people are like, well, okay, how else would they be able to get the necessary funds in order to pay the bills? Sure. Um, and they're pragmatic about this. And uh, it's not going to be deposited until Monday anyway. So, you know, they, they mm-hmm. use reasons like that. Or I gave them mm-hmm. my credit card and they won't pass it through uh, until until Monday. Until- uh, so, so some people have don't have a huge issue with that, uh, mm-hmm. but other people really, really do have an issue with, sure. you know, soliciting of tithes and offerings, donations, whatever, on Shabbat. And I know mm-hmm. from what I've heard behind the scenes at various Messianic congregations, some people in leadership have threatened to walk out if they pass the plate. Wow, um, I, I wasn't but, aware. But. I would have to say at, at at all of the major messianic conferences I have been to, they mm. pass a bucket every major worship service, whether it's on Friday <laughs> night, whether it's on Saturday. I mean, mm. it doesn't matter. Yeah. Uh, but Michael Wolf said something very, very important because at Beth Messiah, they actually do pass the plate on Shabbat. And uh, he had a, a Jewish person, a non-believer come up to him and ask, you know, why do you do this, you know, during your worship service? Mm-hmm. And he said, well, let me tell you something. Uh, if I were attending your synagogue, probably, you know, at least once a year, but maybe twice a year, I would get a bill in the mail uh, a- asking me to pay for my seats in the synagogue. Mm-hmm. No different than if I got a bill in the mail because I'm a member of the country club. Mm. You know, and it would be some, you know, not nice, you know, four digit number that you'd have to pay for your seats at the synagogue. And at our congregation here, we don't make anybody pay that those kinds of dues in Mm. order to be a member here. We Mm. take up a free will offering. People pay as God leads them to pay. Mm. And this Jewish person was just absolutely blown away because mm-hmm. it was like you they're know, accustomed at to any congregate at any synagogue you mm-hmm. have to pay you know your membership fees uh, otherwise you lose yep. your seats yep. and uh and it was like you just take up a free will offering you know you don't make people pay for their membership how mm-hmm. do you keep the lights on uh, <laughs> ah interesting and, yes. and so i mean a lot of us are are are, are have to deal with you know, non-Jewish people who were raised in a church environment where they passed a plate. Um, mm. And frequently they didn't know that um, even your local community church probably goes month to month in terms of paying the bills. Mm. They don't have a huge amount of money. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, look at this from the other side. Look at this from the Jewish side. Mm-hmm. You know, Messianic congregations don't make their members pay membership fees and they mm-hmm. and they don't make people pay for seats during the high holidays that's right so yeah. i mean i think we need to have more of these kinds of discussions and, and perhaps people won't be as rigid when it comes to you mean they're soliciting donations on shabbat uh yeah yeah and i think another example from the Jewish world, I can think of in my own life, we had a a gentleman, former mayor of a town in Israel. Uh, He's appeared on some news media. He, he uh, came to our congregation to speak. He's an Orthodox Jew. He brought his son and uh, he was raising funds for a charity. 
he had no problem with uh, with doing so at our congregation, raising funds as long as it was a non-Jew who collected the money. And I just thought, you know, that's not a good witness to the world at large. I don't think that's what uh, the Lord has for us either. So, yeah, you know, if we weigh these things, considering what the Jewish world does today, um, I think those are small matters collecting uh, for charity, uh, which I consider giving to congregations a form of charity. I, I consider that uh, it's a small matter. Um, and frankly, I think we are actually doing better than much of the Jewish world in that regard. Okay, so our third area, uh, mm-hmm. the appointed times or Moedim. Now, notice I didn't say Christmas or Easter. Uh, ah. Maybe we can discuss that, you know, when those holidays come around. But Fair enough. There's a lot of legalism that can manifest during the appointed times. And, and when I talk about this, at least from my perspective, yeah. I'm not so concerned about, well, you're not doing this tradition or you're not doing that custom. It mm-hmm. has to deal more with, well, you know, did you do this or did you not do this? Uh, uh, okay. Yeah, in my experience, this is going to be a little different for me. And maybe my experience is fairly unique, but it, if anyone's who's watched these uh, podcasts will will know we don't have we're not shy about critiquing where critique is needed. In this case, for me, I have seen very little legalism with regards to appointed times. Most of my appointed times, most of uh, the feasts for me are a joyful, wonderful time. To be honest, I think of the Passover is in years past with my congregation. I think of um, the Sukkots I've spent with um, different groups, including uh, some Hebrew roots groups, joyful, wonderful, holy, just totally joyful time. And I I, got to say, in my corner of the messianic world, folks are doing well on the Moedim. Um, They're, they're seeing these as uh, times to rejoice before the Lord. And uh, I, I haven't seen great abuses of it. I have seen maybe some things where people complained about, oh, we didn't say this prayer or that prayer on Yom Kippur. Yeah, small stuff like that. To me, uh, it's very rare, though. Uh, I've I've seen a lot of good in the Messianic movement around uh, the holy days of the Bible. Again, not talking about... uh, Christian feasts, there's there's some things we could say about how the messianic world looks at those, but um, yeah, it's been good, man. How about you? For me, it's been good. Um, well, certainly on, on a on more of a localized level, um, you know, family yeah. and then people that I know, uh, yes, I would say that it, it tends to be a time of blessing. It tends to be a time where, like, we just finished the fall high holidays, you know, you get re-signed up, as it were, for another year of service uh, to the Lord and His work. You look back on the mm-hmm. previous year. You, uh, you you look you look toward you know good things in the in the year to come. So, mm-hmm. I think some holidays are very much like that. But I also know that there is a tendency, and again, this is perhaps my experience talking, when yep. people want to make some of the holidays into big conference level events. Then it becomes a matter of, well, they're not doing this or they're doing that or Mm -hmm. this or that. Now, some of it has to do with the music. Some of it has to do with the menu. Some of it has to do with 
certain people not getting along. That could happen at, at any time with anything. Uh, mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. It, those are not things that are limited to the appointed times. But you go through that four, five, six years in a row, you're like, oh, Passover. Oh, I see, man. Oh, Passover. Um, mm-hmm. and, and some of these things can be prevented with more education by talking about you know, certain things. Because I know that you know, my parents uh, have been responsible for overseeing you know, really large, giant you know, Passover you know, congregational level things where they've got anywhere between three to 500 people. And I see. Okay. You know, when you've got to solicit so many people to, okay, you need to make this item, you need to make haroset. And then, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know, they make it four or five different ways. It's like, Mm -hmm, did mm -hmm. you follow the recipe? And, you know, (laughs) when you, Mm -hmm. and, and I think, you know, having to field some really annoying questions. Well, we're supposed to have lamb on Passover and nobody got Uh, into, well, okay, well, in Sephardic it's tradition, it's absurd. Right. It, they eat lamb, but in mm-hmm. Ashkenazic tradition, they don't eat don't lamb deliberately. Yeah. But here, we're hosting a Passover event for five hundred people, yeah. and people are not going to pay seventy dollars a ticket to yeah. have lamb. They're just not yeah. going to do that. So we're having <laughs> chicken and just sure. live with yeah. it. <laughs> you know. Yes, man. Yep. Yep. Um, it's just these kinds of things, and yeah. and I and I think that. Uh, you know, when you, and, and mind you, you want, I mean, in pa- you know, like Passover is, is, is an, an, an astoundingly important, you know, holiday for the people of God. Yes. And there is a level of, okay, kosher for Passover, not kosher for Passover. You know, people are going to, are going to make mistakes along the way. And, and, and that's, and that's fine. But when you host these huge events, inevitably mm-hmm. you're going to have conflicts. And, and I would have to say that being behind the scenes at some of these huge events, uh, it's like, okay, I, I believe Passover can, of course, incorporate many, many more people. A, a, a number of years ago down in Houston, mm-hmm. one of the Messianic congregations, and it made the national news, uh, they had 1,500 people at their Passover Seder at one of the giant hotels. And wow. I mean, so if you've been involved with events of that size, you don't look to the appointed times as, yeah, this is going to be great. You're like, no, no, no. You know, it's, like, <laughs> it's, it's so much planning work and so much, uh, yeah, it, you're having to. Rather than focus on the things you should be focusing on, it's all about, <clears throat> we've got to, we've got to do this and we've got to have mm. that available and Oh my God! How many, how many complaints are we going to have to field? Yeah, I um, see. I see. And, yep. and that and that to me is not the appointed times. Uh, the yeah, appointed that can times. Distract. You know, and and mind you, yes, I want people to to come to Messianic congregations, Jewish non-believers, you know, evangelical believers. You know, mm-hmm. I want them to come and get plugged in to to the Messianic movement, what God is doing, and. Let's face it, the the biblical holidays, that's the the, the time when most of them are gonna show up. Especially but, Passover, yeah. But I but I don't think that it was God's intention for us to turn all these things into massive conference level events where <laughs> understood where where a number of us 
just look at the appointed times with trepidation because of all the complaints and all the behind the scenes. But again, this is my experience. I, I, I trust that most of the people watching or listening to this haven't had some of these experiences. And now if there is one blessing that has going to come out of the COVID-19, uh, uh, you know, world pandemic. Yeah. Uh, pandemic is a lot of these events will never take place again. Yeah, indeed. Indeed. Yeah. These massive gatherings. I hear you, John. And I think just to underscore to the listeners here that people who put on well, even Shabbat, even a Shabbat service, oftentimes it's not rest for that person. And I speak from experience all the more so than when it comes to uh, big events around the, ho- the high holy days uh, the feast in general, that um, it can be a burden to those who are uh, arranging for the event, putting it on. I was blessed at my last congregation. I We had like this shared leadership thing where several of us kind of spread out the responsibility and it made it a lot easier. So it didn't fall on like two or three people. It fell on maybe 10 people and um, it, it helped a lot. I think it's a great service to God's people when folks do that, like, Oh, you're planning a, 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 a feast for a thousand people. You know, it's the service to those people. Yeah. Uh, but those who have to put it on, that's a lot of work. Yeah. yeah and what are you going to get more out of when you observe Passover, when you have like this cookie cutter rubber chicken meal for everybody? Uh, because mm-hmm. you've got to have something that you can serve, you know, several hundred people with, even if a hotel, you know, or a caterer does it. Or are you yeah, going to get more yeah. out of a Passover when you have, you know, 10, 20 people come together at someone's home and some of these Jewish believers are able to bring out some of their traditions and their recipes, mm-hmm. which, you know, for a much smaller audience, you know, it's, it's a lot easier to, 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 to be enriched by it. Uh, agreed. And I just, I'll add my own experience this year with uh, coronavirus. Um, I wasn't able to attend a congregational Passover and we had a Passover in our home and we had uh, like two friends join us and it was wonderful. I thought it was like more meaningful for my kids. It was a lot shorter than a congregational one. Perhaps we didn't follow this uh, a super long um, Haggadah or anything like that, but um, it was meaningful and it was rich. And I think it, part of the reason is because it was so small and intimate. Um, there's a, there's something uh, precious about that. Something good about that. Okay. So number four, and yeah. this is probably my favorite one. Um, mm. The kosher dietary laws. Oh my gosh. Okay. Um, okay. <laughs> Cause this is, this is one that a lot of people, they either just dismiss uh, yeah, in my biblical studies, uh, I can't tell you how many times I've had to field the Mark seven nineteen question. Ah, yeah, um, of course. Is it does he declare it all foods clean, clean. or purging all the purging food? all the meats? Yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> but a lot of people who think it's uh, does he declared all foods clean? They will use mm-hmm. that to 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 basically claim that all external regulations of the Torah of Moses are no longer important. Oh, Not mm-hmm. just like Shabbat, the appointed times, circumcision, but even some of the uh, menstrual cycle types of things, uh, anything that, you know, and, and they'll even go, well, maybe even homosexuality, you know, it's like, the, uh-huh. so they will take this way beyond just eating, uh, right? And, you know, all of us 
I think in our messianic experiences, we have been prompted to consider kosher. We have had mm-hmm. to deal with, okay, do I need to go to uh, the Jewish grocery store? Do I need to go to the Jewish uh, butcher? Do I need to do this? Mm-hmm. Do I need to do that? Can I still go to McDonald's? Uh, mm-hmm. You know, all, all of this. Uh, they've had to, and they've gone back and forth. You know, can I mix meat and dairy? You know, you know what? You know, is duck kosher? Uh, mm-hmm. Well, what mm-hmm. if? What if? You know, I just have a kosher style diet, but what if I'm at that relative's house or that friend's house and I get served something I don't even know it? Then what? Uh, yeah. Am I going to hell now? I, I mean, these are the kinds of things that I know. You know, people wrestle with. When our family went kosher back in early 1996. Mm-hmm. And basically we got the pork and shellfish out of our refrigerators and we stopped sure. eating certain things. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we went to our big family reunion. We explained to our family members, this is the way God has been directing us. So mm-hmm. you know, this is why we're having turkey bacon and this is why we're doing this or that. But we didn't say you have to do it. We're, we said, if you have questions, you can ask us. Yeah, but, sure. We didn't try to, you know, coerce anybody uh, mm-hmm. to go along with this, and it is, and it, and from time to time, it's been a bane of contention with some family members. Yeah. And things have gotten a lot better because uh, now, with now, now the the big split in the family is between Black Lives Matter and communists, and <laughs> you know, who are yeah. are sticking with the U.S. Constitution. So. Yeah, yeah, um, I, I can certainly speak to this too. Um, as far as the legalistic uh, application of the of kosher, we've certainly seen one of the critiques of the messianic movement we spoke about in the first two episodes is uh, so much of the messianic movement has built our identity on kosher and feast keeping when the kingdom of God is, is much greater than these things. Um, I've seen people uh, criticize Christians to say, you know, they're, they're basically pagans because they're not keeping kosher. And I think that's, that's um, also not right. We can, I like what you said, John, with your family, where you said, hey, this is where the Lord is leading us. Um, that's how I feel too. That's what the Lord is leading me in. Um, and it, Certainly, I want um, others to be more observant of God's law, but um, I'm not going to, to to bash the Christian world because they have pork sandwiches. So that's one, I'd say the big extreme I've seen is there's just a lot of bashing of Christians because they're not eating kosher. And it's true. Christians don't. Um, there's, there's no way around that. They don't. Um, but as we said earlier, that doesn't mean Christians are lawless. Uh, oftentimes, um, they're keeping the weightier matters of the Torah, even if they aren't keeping some of the smaller things like kosher diets. Um, I just wrote down two things that I'd like to share, two examples, mm-hmm. contemporary examples over some mm-hmm. of the uh, not just difficulty, but even diversity present mm-hmm. in the Messianic community. Because a lot of ah. us you know, here, we're talking about you know, people who are very rigid and inflexible and, oh, you know, those Christian people, you know, they're doing whole hog and, and, and all of this. Um, (laughs) But last year when I went to the Messianic leadership round table hosted by Jonathan Burnus, and there were around 500 people in attendance. 
And they were across the gamut of the Messianic movement. Mm -hmm. Uh, Wide range. You had, I would say the bulk of the people in attendance were congregational leaders. And so they go to these events, you know, to interact with other congregational leaders. Uh, But you had, you know, people from MJAA, UMJC, uh, Chosen People, Jews for Jesus, First Roots of Zion. You had these people there. Um, You had a huge gamut. And one of the things that was very interesting is there were a number of very large dinners uh, where, you know, people got to select, okay, I want this one, or I want this one, or I want this one. And there was, uh, you know, an appetizer, a salad, an entree, you know, dessert. Sure. And it was very interesting to see, you know, just looking around in the, in the dining room, who's getting what or who's not getting what. <laughs> yeah, um, okay. What I, was their level of kosher? Of I, had, yeah, okay. <laughs> I had an invitation to go sit with the super kosher table. Ah, I'm not, okay. I'm not going to tell you who, who was hosting that table, but. <laughs> not um, on this podcast. Not, yeah, okay. Not the recorded version. I got an invitation. I said, I really don't think so. Um mm. And so I, and so like most of the people there, I did the kosher style. Sure. Um, and, and so that meant no pork, no shellfish. And I had yep. steak four times, uh, which even in Texas, we don't do steak for that much. <laughs> uh, however, yeah. some people, some Messianic Jewish believers, and mm-hmm. these aren't young people. These are people in their seventies and their eighties. Okay. They're having shrimp cocktail. Wow. They're having lobster. Yeah. They, I mean, they are, they are eating trafe in no uncertain terms. And you're like, yeah, I can't, I mean, not that I looked at it and like, oh, they're not saved. It was just no. kind of like, Shocking oh, yeah. A little. Yeah. oh yeah. I mean, this is how they were raised. <laughs> sure. This is how yep. they were raised as reformed Jews. And yeah. this is the yeah. way they would eat certainly outside the home. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, they, you're right. They, so there's this never, broad spectrum. Yeah, they never, and a lot of them are dispensationalists. So why would they care? Um, mm, mm, mm. And, and so it was just kind of very interesting. Yeah, I I didn't look at them like, oh, they're going to hell. God's going to judge them. Oh. I was just instead, yeah, we're a very diverse group of people. Yes, and, yeah, indeed. And, and sometimes yeah. you need that in-person experience to see, you know, what everyone is eating or or not eating. Now, I, I would have to say, I do have issues with Messianic Jews who wear a kippah or a yarmulke pretty much all the time, and then they imbibe Eat. and trafe. Okay? Yeah, it's like, come yeah. on. I mean, mm. you know, mm. you are communicating that you're more on the Orthodox side and, and, than not. Yeah, understood. And I know um, there's a Messianic Jewish rabbi from Florida, a uh, friend of mine, and he mentioned he's like something similar, but maybe taken to another level he said um i don't mind you know if people have different kosher standards but if you call yourself torah observant but then you're going to red lobster he said then he's like well then that's just a huge turnoff because you're saying one thing but doing another because in his mind torah observance means and this is a man who is a former from chabad uh torah observance in his mind means you don't go to uh any old restaurant, it would have to be a kosher certified restaurant. Yeah, yeah. so there's a lot of matters to wrestle with there. I, I'm with you, John, that we have to recognize there's a broad spectrum, especially in the Jewish Christian segment of the Messianic right. movement. Now, my second is... example. Oh, yeah, go ahead. Uh, my second example is mm-hmm. at my local congregation. 
ever since I've been attending it, uh, yep. there has been debate on what to serve during Oneg. Now in the COVID-19 world, everyone is having to brown bag it. And there's a possibility that's what's going to happen from here mm-hmm. on out. You mm-hmm. just have to bring your own lunch. But there, w- there was always this debate between the people who were, you know, like super kosher and what are we going to do if Orthodox show up and others uh-huh. who are more on the kosher style. Look, we're not going to have pork. We're not going to have shellfish. Uh, but come on, you know, it's a free lunch for everybody. And, yeah. Yeah. and and so for a very, very, very long time, and this was just for the meal after the service. This is the, um, actually sure. at, at other congregational events, it was much more kosher style, mm-hmm. like held at people's homes or at like the park or something like that. I see. Uh, but that, but it was, um, it was a neutral table, you know, it was parv. So mm-hmm. it was fish and it was bagels and cream cheese and salad and, you know, that, those kinds of things, cookies. Sure. Um, and things, there would yeah. be some people who would be like, well, I don't know where these cookies came from. They may have lard in them, or I don't know where, you know, this giant. doesn't have the certification <clears throat> on it. And, and some people got a little uppity about that, but most people were like, yeah, I wish they'd be more on the kosher style end. So mm. we could bring fried chicken from KFC or we could bring pizza in. Mm. And, you know, we had uh, we had to go through a number of things. I was brought in. Some other people were brought in. We had chicken gate. We had pizza gate. Uh, <laughs> oh, no. Where are these things coming from? And uh, it was it was really funny. But, you know, those of us who were on more the kosher style side, we said, hey, you know, every year we make the effort to go to Grantham, Pennsylvania, to the Messiah Conference. You know, a part of your ticket is you eat in the cafeteria with everyone. That's one mm-hmm. of the main reasons you go there to socialize <laughs> yeah, with, socialize with people yeah, all yeah. over the place. And all we want as an MJA congregation is to have parity with what is served in the cafeteria. You sure. know, we don't yeah. think that's a big deal. Uh, Because the people there don't seem to have a big deal and it's kosher Mm -hmm. style, you know, and, and everything. They don't have pork or shellfish. They might have cheeseburgers. They might have lasagna, but you know, let's be realistic. The congregation's meeting at a church. We're not going to have Orthodox show up. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. Most of the Jews in Dallas are liberal. Yeah. Okay. They don't keep reform and everything anyway. So let's just be practical about this. Yep. And so, you know, there was this, you know, back and forth between the hyper kosher people and the ones who were like, you know, this is the way that most of the people in the Messianic community keep kosher. So what's the yeah. big deal? And, and finally, and finally it was, okay, you can bring chicken. And and of course I said, well, but what if I decide to bring Turkey? Is that considered, you know, is that considered <laughs> like a big chicken? Um, so I've, I've seen these debates and, and ultimately, yep. you know, I, I think because I have Messianic Jewish friends who are more on the kosher style, their faith doesn't rise or fall. And okay, they go back and forth, how much of the Torahs for Jews and non-Jews, but they don't have an issue unless you make it into an issue. Yeah. Interesting. And that usually comes from the people who are very, very rigid and very, very strict. Yeah, people who are newly into stage two of, of the, the kosher eating. Um, yeah, yeah, understood. And I think that's one thing that we can do is it's fine to have high standards for yourself, um, but I think we have to be super gracious with others, especially given 
the reality that we are a bigger tent than a lot of us make us out to be. We often think everyone's like us, um, but in fact, we're a bigger tent. Right. And that's, uh, that's reflective of a lot of the Jewish experience. Everybody is crammed together. You know, there's a plurality of views. Now, are you going to make an issue out of things that are not really issues? Um, I mean, here, we're just talking about some of the big things. We haven't gotten into grooming or makeup or, Mm. you know, modesty or some of the, you know, like, Mm -hmm. I've got a tattoo. What do I do with that? Uh, can I pierce my tongue? Uh, you know, these, these kinds, you know, circumcision. I mean, we haven't gotten into that kind of stuff. Yes. These are just some of the things everybody encounters. Everybody knows. Oh yeah. crap. We got we to talk about kosher again. Um, <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah. but I think on the whole, you know, when it comes to something like kosher, most people I know are kosher style. They don't make yeah. a big deal out of it they only run into problems with the hypersensitive types. Yeah. And I, we should say too, when we say kosher style, we basically mean you're not eating pork shellfish, what some people might call biblically kosher. You're not adding additional stringencies like meat and cheese, avoiding mixing those. Right. And I, and I believe that it is very important for everybody to know about what those things are. Yeah. Yeah. I've yeah. actually, and I have, you know, I, I will still eat a cheeseburger once in a while. I'll, I'll, when I go to the Northeast, I'll have a cheese steak. Um, you know, I'm from Cincinnati. So anyone from Cincinnati knows that Cincinnati chili has like a copious amount of cheese on it. Um, I mean, it really (laughs) does like, um, so yeah, but I have challenged people who, well, I just do biblically kosher. I don't do rabbinical kosher. I have challenged them to, well, be aware you've got your interpretation of yeah. the scriptures and they've got theirs and sure. they yeah. are reading the same passages. So mm-hmm. are you going to make an issue out of something that really isn't an issue? I mean, yeah. you, know, you know, Coke or Pepsi. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I drink Dr. Pepper. So what is that? <laughs> what do I care? Yeah, you're totally right. There are different interpretations. In fact, a, a friend of mine, Aaron Eby, uh, back in Minnesota, um, wrote a book called Biblically Kosher, where he argues for right. basically orthodox level uh, of kosher ob- observance, uh, at least for, for Jewish people. Um, yeah, so there's there's a variety there. But yeah, I, I, I think, look, again, whatever your personal um, understanding is for kosher and what you're able to do, um, if, if folks want to go more stringent than kosher style, by all means, um, I just, as you, as you raised, John, if we get, if we make it an issue for others, I think then it starts causing division unnecessarily on a matter of ultimately a, a, a disputable matter. You know, how, how stringent do we need to be in our, our kosher diet? Right. Now, as an aside, I would like to say that as someone who's a pit master, who spends a lot of time you know, smoking brisket and yeah. here in Texas and everything. Uh, and yes, I've got a barbecue sauce recipe that I, I've modified over the years. 
Ooh. It probably is a salvation issue for people if you add liquid smoke to the barbecue <laughs> sauce recipe. Because I'm sorry, uh, that yeah, is a yeah. testament to how the smoke has not penetrated the meat sufficiently. <laughs> so why do you have to add liquid yeah, smoke but, to your barbecue sauce? Oh, dude, dude, I'm gonna have to tell my wife this because even though she's got a smoker, she loves to smoke meat. We do have some liquid smoke in our in our cabinet. So yeah, um, I, I'm sad to confess. Well, that. you can use that for other things, but not for. <laughs> your barbecue sauce not for the barbecue okay all right <laughs> fair enough salvation yeah, I mean, that, even, yeah. that's a sell yeah it might be <laughs> oh man all right good okay so point number five and um this this is kind of loaded but hmm. you know as as we look at the extremes of lawlessness and legalism what do we do about our outward messianic testimony to, and I've split it up into three groups of people here, a devout Jews. So those mm-hmm. would be Jewish people who have, you know, some view of the Torah as God's instruction that yes. they need to be following, but then B cultural Jews, uh, which mm-hmm. is of course the bulk of the Jewish community here in North America. Yeah, reform. Their basically. Judaism is just a culture. Um, yeah kosher what my connection with food is the deli um Mm -hmm. and making sure that i can have my you know corned beef or pastrami sandwich Mm -hmm. Uh, and then c evangelical protestant believers Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah of of all the things we wanted to address john this was probably the most uh difficult for me i was i was really trying to think about this in a way that um well stepping back i really tried to consider what, what is our testimony? Because this isn't a, I guess, an issue that I often consider, you know, it's like, Hey, I'm, I'm trying my best to follow God's law. I'm, I'm trying my best to live for the Lord. I'm trying my best to uh, raise a family in the Lord. Um, what is my outward testimony to these other groups? Um, it's something I haven't often considered. So this was a difficult thing for me. Um, considering the messianic movement as a whole too often, I think our attempt uh, with the Torah is to emulate Orthodox Judaism. It's not going to work. It's just not going to work. A uh, we'll never be as stringent as Orthodox Jews and B we don't need to be because Orthodox Judaism has its own set of problems. We do not need to be an emulation of Orthodox Judaism. So I think sometimes um, that's actually a turnoff to devout Jews. They'll say, oh, you're, you're trying to do this, but I see you didn't keep this particular stringency around this or that. Um, I, I think it's, it's actually a bad witness. Now, John, you mentioned that in, in the Messianic movement, you see a lot of congregations planning for, oh, that, that Orthodox visitor, but really we're hosted in a church. So an Orthodox Jewish person isn't going to come anyway because it's in a church. So I think our focus has been off there, and I think there might need to be some new thinking about what is our message to the Orthodox world. Um, I can say from experience, I've got a coworker. I work part-time for a company in Israel, and I, I was speaking to one man who was um, Chabad. His, his father is a, a rabbi, Chabad rabbi in Israel. Um, and he's, he's, you know, orthodox level observance he won't go out to restaurants with us in israel even you know there it's like no we have to go to special ones and he uh i I was able to talk to him about 
our faith? Because he said, hey, I found your blog and I see you talk a lot about Torah and Messiah. Tell me, you know, what, what's your thinking around all this stuff? And um, it was a good conversation, but a lot of it, he came down to asking, well, what about, you know, um, do you guys bind to fill in? Do you, um, what do you do for meat and cheese separation, all this? And I would say, um, Fitzak, uh, we, we disagree with the Orthodox interpretation of that. Like we don't see this as, um, as, as the, the meaning of the Bible. It's, it's not what God has, has willed. It's an additional stringency that's been added over time. And a lot of, a lot of the conversation kept going back to that where there's just a interpretive difference between us and Orthodox Jews I will also say among Orthodox Jews, there's a feeling of being kind of suppressed, strangled by tradition and by stringencies. You see these stringencies kind of snowball over the course of centuries where it gets bigger and bigger and pretty soon it's a really heavy weight. And I think, not I think, I know there are um, Orthodox Jews, especially in the ultra-Orthodox world, that feel their religion is a burden and has become a burden to them. And I think our message to them can be um, with Yeshua, his burden is light and uh, that we can still live faithful lives to God uh, without um, overburdening ourselves with tradition. Curious to hear what you think about this on with regards to devout Jews and, and our testimony to them, John. Right. Uh, you've had a lot more experience interacting with, you know, Jews on the Orthodox or ultra Orthodox sure. side than I have. Yeah. Um, you know, some of my experiences in interacting with religious Jews have, I've gotten the, Oh, you're an Aryan look. Uh, <laughs> I've got, I've had that <laughs> yeah. experience before. And I'm yeah. like, no, I yeah. know I'm not one of those, but um, yeah, the experiences that I've had, I've tried to keep, light and personal i i try to you know get to to figure out where who people are what their life story is we try i try to have areas of commonality i know my stepfather mark huey has tried to talk about things like hey you know the weekly torah reading da 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 yeah and but we haven't really tended to get into some of the the torah minutia that we would like to have and Mm -hmm. i i don't know i think that you know over the years you know, I'll be prompted to, you know, consider an Orthodox perspective, but mm-hmm. actually we do know people who were raised in an, in an Orthodox uh, setting and now they've left it precisely because yeah. they think it's so oppressive or yes. it's just so yeah. narrow-minded. Yeah. And uh, my stepfather has a friend of his who lives in uh, South Florida, who is Israeli, who comes mm-hmm. from a Persian, you know, Jewish background. And uh, when he first met him, he was orthodox, but, you know, modern. Just so, so sure. for example, sure, he wore modern clothing. He didn't yep. have a beard. Um, yep. You know, he was a heavy chain smoker. I think he probably is still a heavy chain smoker. <laughs> okay. He was very uh, liberal politically, but, mm-hmm. you know, he, he, you know, was kosher. And, you know, he had the two sets of dishes in his home, the multiple refrigerators and, and dishwashers. And, uh, then he may have gone through a, a crisis in his own life, but he ended up divorcing his wife. He ended up, you know, mm-hmm. entertaining things like, well, 
you know, don't you know that whether it's Judaism or Christianity or Islam, you know, people have manipulated their holy books just mm. to control the masses. Mm. Um, he got into some of like the JEDP documentary hypothesis yeah. stuff. Uh, now he's, you know, borderline agnostic atheist. He's in that realm. Uh, and he's in his late 70s. Uh, so in my experience, hearing him and encountering him periodically, and uh, just hearing some of his story, there are a lot of Orthodox Jews who go through that because mm-hmm. they're in, the, in such a small community, mm-hmm. not unlike the Amish or not unlike yeah. you know, one of these kinds of groups right. that right. excuse the modern world. And then they find the modern world and then they turn their back on where they came from and they go to the opposite extreme. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think with a lot of Orthodox Jews, people who stay Orthodox or you know, people who favor that approach, uh, it still a, is a work in progress for today's yeah. Messianic movement. Yes. Because a lot of Messianic Jews don't even come from that kind of a background. That's right. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's pretty um, rare. Yeah. You know, most, I mean, this isn't to say now when you say devout Jews, that could be a very broad spectrum. I mean, there, there are con- conservative Jews, even devout, reformed yeah. Jews who I would consider yeah. devout. They yeah, believe yeah, in okay. God. They believe yes. in, in Bible study, Torah study. They yeah. just have some interpretations that we strongly disagree with. They believe God's spirit or presence in some way, you know, is, is, is a, is a real thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, one of the things that we have to remember is, Many people in Judaism today, this is kind of off topic, but they are into spiritual matters. They mm. like spiritual things. That's why so many of them are attracted to Buddhism or they uh, go off to yeah. the Far East uh, yes, to get yeah. into more of the Eastern types of things. Eastern mysticism, yeah. So uh, there are Jewish people who are spiritual, who are not just cultural Jews. Well, I don't yeah. believe in God, but we've got to you know, stay Jewish. Um mm. You know, so you know, devout Jews. This is a this is a I think a slightly broader category at times than just the Orthodox, but indeed, you know, you know, point B here, more probable than not, you're not going to encounter devout Jews. Many of them will. If you're not Jewish, they won't say hello to you. They'll be rude mm. and dismissive. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you're Caucasian, they'll think that. Well, how do I know you're not a white supremacist? <laughs> Sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's a lot of suspicion still. Yeah. So whereas cultural Jews in America, those who have widely assimilated, um, they know they have to get along with you know other people. They, they've got to get along with everybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they are American first, sometimes Jewish second. And being Jewish isn't necessarily doesn't necessarily mean they believe in God. Um, mm-hmm. You know, they're you know, they they remember Passover. They remember holidays. Hanukkah, because that's what Jewish people do. They're not going to do Christmas or Easter. Uh, Their association with food has nothing to do with clean or unclean. It's more the recipes from the old country. And uh, I remember, (laughs) I remember interacting with a Messian Jewish friend of mine. Uh, Her father's from New York. And she said, I cannot believe they eat raw fish. I just can't believe it. Um, (laughs) You know, and, and I said, yeah, you know, I, and you know, I'll, you know, some some people who are not raised with it, they really like it. Some people who are raised with it can't stand it. And other people, they like some of it and they have to force themselves to like other things. Like yeah. the first and last time I had pickled herring, 
Um, mm, yes, yes. And it was, I mean, <laughs> I mean, I, it, it, it was no, it, it, the, 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 the taste of it was like, just going to the beach and pulling up this sand <laughs> and eating the sand. I mean, oh, and maybe oh. I got the wrong brand. Okay. Uh. You, know? Uh, you know, it's like, but for cultural Jews, their Jewish culture, these are the kinds of things that's associated with. It's not like, yeah. you know, God, um, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, yeah, I, I can't tell you how many times I've been told, look, our relatives are coming. Do not talk about this, 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 or this. Mm. Don't mention Yeshua. Don't mention Trump. Don't mention mm. Israel. Don't mention, mm. you know, God. I mean, just don't mention any of this uh, because they are, you know, progressive and liberal. Yeah. Uh, don't even mention that you're in Texas, you know, because then they're going to ask you if you have a gun. You know, it's it's like. Uh, wow, wow. Walking on eggshells, yeah. you know. So, but yet, that is the Jewish community more likely than not that you're going to encounter in America. Yep. They're yep. the main audience that we need to be presenting with Yeshua. Yeah. And you know, when they see, you know, because I know, and you've heard this as well. Well, you know, we don't have to declare the good news to the Jewish community. Non-Jews just have to keep Torah. And they will provoke Jews to jealousy. You yeah, know, I don't. That, I don't think that's true. That's all it's yeah. about now. And mind you, uh, you know, there are, are are Jewish non-believers. They've seen me. They've seen my family. They're like, you know, yeah. why are you involved with this? I mean, wouldn't it be mm. so much easier to be part of the dominant culture and sure, you know, sure. have your yeah. Christmas tree and and eat certain things? Uh, I mean, don't you know that Jewish people throughout history get persecuted? Uh, and so. If, if you identify with us, don't you know that you might get persecuted too or discriminated against too? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I can't deny that there is some element of, you know, well, why are you doing this and why are you associating with us? Yeah. But I've come to think that in order to provoke Jews to jealousy for Messiah faith, it does have to do more with, you know, we're going to stand with you no matter what. We're going to support. Uh, we're going to support the state of Israel because even yeah. the most atheistic Jews know that. Hey, if society, if America gets bad, if things get really bad, we can always escape to Israel. Israel, yeah, indeed. And we indeed. always have a plan B. We can always go to Israel. Uh, yes. Uh, you know, if so, I think it's important that okay, yeah, Torah has a part of it in it, but. It's also, are you going to stand against anti-Semitism? Are you going mm-hmm. to, you know, just be there as their friend and then let mm-hmm. the Lord open the doors? And yep. some people can be patient with that. Others, not so much. I agree that's more fruitful because I think um, oftentimes our Torah observance is looked at, at least by the uh, devout Jewish world, as weird or odd because it's our own brand of Torah observance. Um, I think there will, and I'm not saying we shouldn't, uh, do that. But I am saying it is probably more fruitful, I suspect, that we serve and love the Jewish people uh, and we identify with the Jewish people, defend the Jewish people. I think that's going to bear more fruit than um, than saying, ah, look how Torah observant we are. I don't think our Torah observance is going to impress a lot of Jewish people. I don't think it's going to provoke much jealousy um, the spirit of God moving among us and doing powerful things that could too, but that's, that's on the Lord to do. And we just have to be willing and, and ready for, for that. But Right. And, and while it is a process, 
Yeah. I think I think the biggest thing for the me- the biggest challenge for the messianic movement, and mm-hmm. this and it's and one and it's one of the main things that really concerns me is one of the reasons we're not attracting as many Jews as we ought to be, mainly those cultural Jews, is we won't deal with the issues that matter to them. Mm-hmm. We we are almost exclusively at times dealing with the issues that matter to the evangelical right here in America. Yeah. You're right. And, you're not, right. and I'm not here to say that we have to be liberal and progressive by mm. any means, but if we will not touch the issues that matter to the Jewish community, well, yes. why would they think we have anything to offer them? Interesting. Yeah, indeed. Indeed. You're right. And that, that touches on again, I don't know if we're afraid or we're not ready. Some of our communities aren't ready to address some of the issues um, that are important to the Jewish community in time. I think that'll change. But uh, that's where it stands today. Yeah. Okay, so, and then the the final part: our outward messianic testimony to evangelical Protestant believers. Ah, uh, so this is uh... so for the next for the next four hours. We're gonna... <laughs> yeah, uh, without getting into a ton here, but in the first two podcast episodes that we did, we talked about a man who said, "Hey, I felt like most of Hebrew roots was." evangelizing evangelicals that is to say uh our mission wasn't to be witnesses of yeshua but rather to be ambassadors of torah to the church rather than uh ambassadors of yeshua to the world and i think this is this is a problem that the hebrew roots section of the messianic movement struggles with today that so much of our identity and our um, our uh, oh, so much of our identity is wrapped up in the Torah that we forget our our primary calling and our first love is Yeshua. Um, so I think that this has been perhaps has brought in some evangelicals, and that we've been saying, "Hey, you need to come into our movement. You need to become Torah observant." But um, I don't think that is a good long-term plan. Um, And so I think our testimony has fallen short in some other ways. But this raises the question of what ought our testimony be? And it seems to me our testimony is we, we have a distinct calling from the rest of Christianity. Uh, Yes. Especially since we're talking about, um, the return of the Jewish people to the Jewish Messiah. So there's going to be a distinct calling. Um, but I'm not sure what our, what our message, our outward testimony to evangelicals ought to be. I can just say today we've almost had an imbalance of we're essentially being missionaries to the Christian church and to evangelicals to bring them into Hebrew roots. And that's brought some bad fruit along with it. Well, one of the things that I think we have to do is we have to find a fair equilibrium with recognizing that the major reason why this whole messianic, this modern messianic movement got started was for Jewish outreach and evangelism, Mm -hmm. which is innately tied to Romans 9, 10, and 11. So that's very, very biblical. It's very, very scriptural. And I think that... uh, if many people on the more independent Hebrew root side would grab a hold of that Messianic Jewish uh, 
urgency to see Jewish people come to faith in Israel's Messiah, then it would be able to sidestep a lot of the other sensational things that it tends to be, uh, you know, gravitated toward. I, I, I don't know. I don't know why it is. I know that once our family relocated back here to North Texas and we really got reintegrated into Messianic Judaism, I realized, you know, we have a ministry called Outreach Israel. We better be making some contribution to Jewish evangelism. We better (laughs) be talking about it a little more than we do. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, Because it is something rooted in Holy Scripture. But at the same time, Mm -hmm. Micah 4, 1 to 3, Isaiah 2, 2 to 4, it does say that in the last days, the nations will come streaming to Zion to be taught from uh, Moses' teaching. And, yeah. mm. uh, and, and mind you, you know, there are a lot of people out there who, oh, the church is pagan, you know, pagan this, pagan that, Christmas and Ishtar and, mm. uh, you know, all of that, you know, the, the kind of yeah. approach you'll see from a Michael Root or, or, sure. or somebody like that, yeah. uh, you know, okay, but you've got people who are genuinely being wooed by the Holy Spirit to take a hold of their faith heritage in the Tanakh, yes. to yes. understand Jesus in the feasts, they yes. want to live more like Yeshua and the first believers, they don't want to be legalistic. They want God to write his instruction on the heart. Mm -hmm. And if that is what your motive is, inevitably, as you adopt more outward things, you will have to learn how to love God and love neighbor in a more profound way. Because, you know, we've been discussing the extremes of lawlessness and legalism. You know, I I give a lot of leeway you know, for people to decide if they want to mix meat and dairy or not, or what they can and can't do on Shabbat, or, you know, can Mm. they, you know, not work on Shabbat, but what if they want to watch a movie, you know, Saturday afternoon at home? I mean, that's, Mm -hmm. that's between you and the Lord. Mm. Um, Yeah. There there are a lot of things that you just have to decide for yourself. You're, you're a mature adult Mm -hmm. and maybe it's not a good idea that you share those things with other people you know? <laughs> yeah yeah so as to not invite criticism yeah but, but i know that with so many of the things we've talked about you know today you know mm-hmm. implementation of you know sabbath the festivals the dietary laws we could have discussed other things as well there are other matters in the scriptures the tanakh the old testament that we don't have a very good handle on um, one of the most influential books i've ever read was toward Old Testament ethics by Walter C. Kaiser. Sure, and okay. Walter mm-hmm. Kaiser is one of the Messianic movement's most favorite Protestant theologians. He's spoken at the Messiah Conference. You know, people really like Walt Kaiser. Yeah, and, and you quote from him a lot in your books. I do, I do. <laughs> I like Walt Kaiser as well. And mm. there are things in that book, like, okay, what do we do about a justified taking of a life? You know, what do we do about things like, you know, apparent genocide in the Tanakh scriptures. You know, what do we do about abortion for reasons other than birth control? I mean, these are the kinds of matters that he brings out that are rooted in someone's understanding of the Tanakh scriptures. Well, guess Mm -hmm. what? We don't talk about any of this stuff in the, in my messianic experience. Yeah. Likewise. likewise, I mean, we just don't. And, 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 you know, right now, uh, Certainly here in America, especially with the appointment of the new Supreme Court justice, a lot of strong believers, most of them are in the church. Oh, my goodness. Um, They have been rightly praying that we have a pro-life judge. 
Yes. And, and they, and, and look, I believe abortion is terrible. You know, I, I, you know, almost all of the times some, a, a woman has to have an abortion is for something other than medical reasons. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. because we got pregnant and mm-hmm. we don't want yep. the responsibility. We don't want the burden, yep. but anybody who is in ministry certainly needs to deal with, you know, well, what if, a woman gets pregnant and then she gets cancer and the pregnancy is accelerating the cancer. I mean, these are things that, you know, we would demonstrate ourselves to be a very mature and adult movement if we could address them. Uh, But today it's not easily done. Yeah, indeed. We haven't addressed some of these more, more complex issues. Um, I like what you said in the beginning, John, too, with regards to our, our, testimony i think two things we that two two driving forces of our testimony to the evangelical world ought to be and one is the relevance of the jewish people that god is not done with the jewish people because there is that thinking that supersessionist thinking in the christian church that this can be something where we take a stand and say no from the scriptures, God is not done with the Jewish people. God has a distinct plan of redemption for the Jewish people. It'll be like life from the dead, as Paul says in Romans. Um, that's one of them. I think also we can speak to the ongoing relevance of of the whole counsel of God, including the Torah. I think as you, you highlighted, a lot of Christians, uh, depending on their background, of course, but many Christians are favorable to seeing the the Torah as some guiding principle in their life. You know, you, you, you referenced the woman who got up and quoted Leviticus. Uh, I think a lot of Christians are that way. And now that I think of it, I was talking with um, someone from a church small group that we're attending uh, about some of the feasts we were celebrating. And I, I just realized as we were talking that that was a testimony to her because I was able to say, ah, oh, you know, this is something that God commanded us to do so that we remember what God has done in history, as well as the things he will do in the future. And it's good for us to remember the works of God in ages past. It keeps us grateful. It keeps our hearts full of thanksgiving to God. Um, So I think that also can be our outward testimony too. So just to summarize those two things, I think can be the, uh, that God is not done with the Jewish people. uh, And secondly, that the whole counsel of God, including the Torah is good. That can be our testimony to the evangelical world. Well, one of the things we know for certain is that this is not the end of the conversation mm-hmm. that, uh, you know, we've just discussed, you know, five areas where we need to be avoiding extremes of lawlessness yeah. as well as legalism. I hope none of you all watching or listening to this got the impression that we think God's Torah is unimportant. We think it's very, very important, but uh, there That's are right. some people who need to lighten up a little bit and not be so rigid <laughs> and inflexible because mm-hmm. i know that you know some people have this idea well you're just ignoring or dismissing commandments are you sure how do you know i'm not following an interpretation a form of halakha that well it just is an orthodox yeah indeed you know? indeed and but but the warnings of the end times in matthew 24 they are not as concerned with legalism that's more of an internal messianic movement thing they are very much concerned with lawlessness, lawlessness yeah. and it's something that's going to involve, at least in my opinion, 
a wide-scale dismissal of God's standards of holiness mm-hmm. in the Tanakh or Old Testament, a huge a dismissal of Yeshua and the apostles' own standard of holiness mm-hmm. combined with anarchy and all kinds of other just disregard for established order. Yeah, yep, indeed. And and that's something that is going to result in people's love growing cold which we're in the process of seeing now yeah i mean think about all the time that people spend playing these video games where it's just murder murder rape murder rape Mm -hmm. murder Mm -hmm. um and how that desensitizes people yeah i mean look at some of the riots that have been taking place yeah Uh, okay so they want society to change they want the african-american struggle to be highlighted the Mm -hmm. the female struggle to be highlighted all right, I understand that, yeah. but are you going to go about this in a way where we're supposed to be persuaded out of fear of, you know, you're going to come and knock mm-hmm. down my door and, and take all my stuff because mm-hmm. you have been treated unjustly, or are you instead going to make the argument on the basis of principle? And this is yeah. where I stand, you know, this is the philosophy that uh, uh, I, I adhere to, yeah. and you know, we, we live in a time when people might very well be resorting more to violence and threats of violence. The tr- some of the true, I know. you know, absolutely terrifying meanings of lawlessness, mm-hmm. then, okay, make your case. See if you'll mm-hmm. convince me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. Um, in addition to those things, you mentioned um, kind of the, the forcing you to agree, otherwise uh, threats of violence. There's also threats of losing your your employment for a lot of people we've seen um, with cancel culture. So there is this idea that today love is growing cold in that there is an increased hatred and contempt for the other. And oftentimes the other is whoever is not in my persecuted group, whatever that happens to be, whether minority status or um, sexual identity or whatever it may be. Um, yeah, so that is a problem. But I, as you as you highlighted, John, this is something the Lord said is going to happen in the last days, this increase in lawlessness and people's love growing cold. I think we're seeing some of that now without getting, you know, oh, the end is here without saying anything like that. Just we're seeing some of that um, love growing cold more than any other time in my lifetime. I, I've never seen anything quite like what we're seeing now where there is just absolute hatred and contempt among large groups, large swaths for the other. Uh, and it aligns with what Yeshua said would happen. Well, we don't want to be presumptuous regarding when we are on the proverbial timeline, but I think addressing some of the matters that we have just discussed, that mm-hmm. is very much long overdue. Mm-hmm. And just having some honest, candid, uh, you know, t- discussions about, you know, why are some people all, you know, tied up in this legalism? Or, you know, yes, it's a it's a problem, you know, when people have just blatantly disregarded God's standards. But, you know, why did Yeshua die? He died so we mm-hmm. didn't have to be, you know, like tied up into this my into the minutia of this issue. Mm-hmm or that issue. And, yeah. and yes, we could go on and on and on uh, talking about this. Yeah, indeed. But ladies and gentlemen, that is why we have an ongoing Messianic Walk podcast. <laughs> and yes. 
Uh, we hope that our discussion has been a blessing. It's been encouraging, uh, but it's not the end. And so, you know, we you know, get together and we try to formulate, you know, what is the issue that people need uh, to hear about? And, you know, we both, you know, pray uh, and we see where God leads us with these kinds of discussions. Yeah, yeah. And my final thought here is I, I hope this episode, folks, has been helpful to steer you clear of some of the extremes in the Messianic movement, um, some of the, um, in both directions, quite honestly, both lawlessness and legalism that we've witnessed. Uh, if you don't have to go through it, all the better. As John said, sometimes we have to go through these things. Sometimes we have these phases in our life where maybe one thing is more important, but we want to help folks steer clear of um, some of the problems that many messianics and Hebrew roots folks have gotten themselves into so that ultimately that we can bring glory to God by how we live. Amen. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining with us on this episode of the Messianic Walk. On behalf of myself, John McKee of Messianic Apologetics, messianicapologetics.net, and my co-host, Judah Hamango of the blog Kineti Letzion. That's blog.judagabriel.com. Thank you very much for joining with us. We will see you again soon with another episode of The Messianic Walk. Shalom, everyone. Bye-bye.